You're listening to the Higher Ed Marketing Lab. I'm your host, Jared Smith. Welcome to the Higher Ed Marketing Lab. I'm Jared Smith. Each episode, it's my job to engage with some of the brightest minds in higher ed and the broader world of marketing to find actionable insights you can use to level up your school's marketing and enrollment efforts. In this episode, we'll be talking about public relations. And if you're like me and you've often felt that public relations is a little bit of a mysterious black box, then this episode is for you. We'll be hearing from Barbara Pierce, president of Tipping Point Communications. Barbara has over 25 years experience leading global, national, and regional public relations initiatives, and she's worked extensively in higher education. We start by hearing Barbara's favorite definition of public relations, and then we jump into the major shifts that have drastically changed how PR is practiced in recent years. Barbara shares her insights into how marketing and PR teams can become better aligned, and she gives actionable advice on how schools can increase the odds of getting their stories picked up by media outlets. Towards the end of our discussion, we talk about how schools can better prepare for crisis communication scenarios before they happen. This was an enlightening episode, and I hope you get as much out of it as I did. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Barbara Pierce. Barbara, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jared. Glad to be here. Yeah, well, really happy to have you and so excited to talk about the uh, role of PR in higher education. I think it's going to be a fun discussion. We got a lot of good stuff to talk about. Before we get into that, I was hoping you could just give us a little introduction to you and your work and your background uh, before we get started. You bet. Tipping Point Communications is a firm in uh, Rochester, New York. I've been working with my business partner, Michelle Ashby, for the past seven years. And Tipping Points existed since 2005. Before that, I worked in agencies uh, for uh, about 15 of my 25-year experience and have worked on everything from public companies to very small nonprofits and a lot of higher education institutions in between. I will also say that I did spend uh, five years at Eastman Kodak Company, so got a lot of global experience and did a lot of really exciting and exciting can sometimes be good or, or challenging times throughout my career. So mm-hmm. Good. Well, thanks for that. So I think a, a good place to start off would be taking a little bit of time to actually really kind of define what we mean by public relations. It's, it's just kind of been my observation that a lot of folks, even those of us in marketing um, that work alongside BR pros on a daily basis, may not really understand you know, sort of classically, what what is the role of PR? What are they really, really doing here in this practice? My favorite definition of public relations is doing the right thing and taking credit for it. Public relations relies on action and the organization and, and living up to what it claims to be, walking the talk, if you will. Mm-hmm. PR is not talking the talk and trying to convince everybody through a whole bunch of really glossy, shiny words that we're better than we are. Instead, it's reiterating what it is we're doing for our brand, for our organization, for the community, for our uh, customers. The other key thing about public relations that I think is important for people to consider is that it's operating all the time. It's really Mm -hmm. a matter of reputation management. That's another definition that some people like to use. It infuses 
And it's not just marketing. It's not just the proactive publicity around a campaign or a product mm-hmm. or a service you offer. It is literally communicating everything there is to say about you and who you are. So again, that reputation management kind of ties back to the do the right thing and take credit for it mm-hmm. idea. Yeah, that makes makes a lot of sense. I know you've been in the industry for a long time and you've seen a lot of trends come and go. But I'm just curious, what sort of big shifts have you seen over the past 20 years or so in the practice of PR and our understanding of of how it fits within an organization? There are three things that I can talk to as it relates to this. Obviously, the first and foremost thing that every PR person worth their salt will identify is social media Mm -hmm. and the online world and what that has meant to PR. Because it used to be you really relied on a lot of third parties in the media, to translate your message to the masses. Mm -hmm. Now it's happening immediately for you. And by those who aren't really necessarily operating forthrightly, maybe, Mm -hmm. a lot of anonymity online. So what you're finding is social media and online resources have really changed the world. Tied to that, the second thing I'd note is the dissolving of traditional media outlets. Most of your listeners probably are living in a market in which they barely have a daily paper anymore. Mm-hmm. It used to be in some of the markets we operate in, they had multiple daily papers. We're lucky if you're seeing them print every day, and when they do, they're practically no more than flyers. So those who you're working with in the media space, their life has changed. Mm-hmm. So you're dealing with a reporter who's now doing three times as many beats as they ever had to. Not only are they running 12 beats instead of three, they're also blogging, they're bringing video cameras to their interviews, they're taking photographs, Mm -hmm. they're carrying tripods along with them, and these are print reporters that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So so the change in the media landscape is the second big shift, and that really does tie, I think, to what's going on in the online world, where Mm -hmm. it's all about clicks. So everything that's happening in the social media space is really impacting the media space mm-hmm. as well. Thirdly, and this is a more recent phenomenon, something that's really changed, I would say, maybe in the last two to five years, is the level of us versus them. Mm-hmm. It's so on or off. There's no gray space in between anymore. So intellectual conversations really have kind of hard to have. Right. It's all or nothing. It's my way, or if you're either with me or you're against me. So the opportunity to have intellectual conversation and debate and communicate nuance in your mm-hmm. communications. It's really hard to do right now. To kind of have the benefit of the doubt long enough to get a nuanced point across. Yeah, that's true. But the patience or maybe the brain space or the willingness to listen to a nuanced point of view, mm-hmm. you're either everything or you're nothing. Uh, you can see it in politics. There's no opportunity to agree with some things and not with other things. So mm-hmm. it's really made communications, reputation management, difficult. I wasn't surprised that you said social media, but then I had not really spent any time thinking of, you know, what is sort of the workaday life of a print journalist look like? How has that changed the way that PR practitioners have to approach their world? How has it changed the work itself? And I realize that's also a ridiculously broad question. It's huge. <laughs> but what's, yeah, what's interesting is that we're talking about institutions of higher learning, and we're coming from a communications marketing perspective. And Very similarly, in both areas, there used to be pretty clear silos, Mm -hmm. pretty clear definitions about what you did and what I did and what the next person did down the hall uh, in departments, what each department did. Now it's all overlapping, Mm -hmm. and it requires us 
to also have a lot of, of an open mind, a much bigger open mind to imagining that what you're doing and what I'm doing is a lot more connected than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Well, so that kind of leads to the question of how, if things are a lot more integrated, there's a lot more overlap now between, say, the world of marketing and, and the world of PR, right? We just take social media. Mm-hmm. You can argue that PR needs to own social media. You can argue that marketing needs to own it. <laughs> And it's not just that, it's, it's influencers, it's sponsored mm-hmm. content, it's regular web content. What are some things that you've seen organizations do particularly well to kind of align folks? Are there any things you could point to to say, these folks have kind of, they're starting to sing from the same hymnal, there's mm-hmm. a fairly well-aligned team. Is there anything you can point to there? I think the organizations that, and again, this is doing the right thing and taking credit for it, the organizations that require the individuals who are with there to be open-minded and Mm growth-minded. It's critical. In day-to-day operations, I've worked with folks who've been in the business for 50 years, and they are open-minded, and they listen and consider other perspectives and bring Mm -hmm. everyone together. And then I've worked with those who've been in the business for 10 years and who do it this way because we've always done it this way, and this is the way to do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, That The former is the best way to be, and it really does come from the top. The top of the organization needs to be open in considering the impact of all of this new technology, this new way of being on their institutions and their, and their day-to-day lives. Mm-hmm. If they're not open to that, then it, you can see it affect the entire organization. People live in silos. The right arm doesn't know what the left arm is doing, and you can see them trip over their own shoelaces. Yeah. What's interesting was I was kind of expecting you to say a specific set of policies or procedures, but this is more of the mindset of continuous improvement the policies and procedures are going to change, and who knows what we're going to be doing 10 years from now. Sometimes inserting a policy and a procedure, imagining documenting something, it's like a philosophy. Again, it comes back to the way of being. It's really hard to document that. Uh, it's, it's about having clarity at the top about where we're going, what we stand for, and who we are, and then everyone understanding that and operating within those philosophical guidelines. Mm-hmm. PR is a lot looser than programming or even media buying and planning because we are operating in between people. And today with social media as crazy as it is and individuals becoming their own publishers, it's all about interpersonal engagement and interaction. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to document all that in a policy and a procedure. Interesting. So I think a lot of us tend to think of PR as being kind of very reactive sort of thing in in nature. And I know it can be, there's certainly that aspect to it, but I know that's also probably not the best case scenario. It's better to be proactive when you can. Can you talk a little bit about what proactive PR looks like in an organization? Proactive public relations is critical, to be honest, in preparation for those reactive times. Mm -hmm. But also, and, and the reason why it's important to be proactive to the reactive times is PR sets the groundwork for who you are, helps people understand what you stand for. So the proactive PR you should be doing, whether it be thought leadership, again, highlighting a professor doing some really meaningful research and pushing out really compelling insights, reiterating who it is you are in example, Mm -hmm. that's important. What that does is it helps people understand who you are before you find yourself in a reactive mode. Mm -hmm. So news releases, photo ops, story pitches, all of those things are building blocks to build 
the facade or the front perspective, perception of who it is you are. Then if something was to go wrong, and by the way, it will. Yeah, it's not a, when it does, an if, it's a when. You've got all of that to fall back on, the reputation that you've built to fall back on. Mm-hmm. If you would rather keep your head down and not build up a reputation when something goes wrong, you've got nothing to stand on because nobody right. knows who you are. So the first thing I would recommend to people doing proactive publicity is remember relationships are first and foremost. Relationships with your regional media outlets, all of your beat reporters, industry beat reporters, all the people you're going to need to tell your side of the story if and when something goes wrong. You need to be building relationships with them now, introducing them to who you are and what you stand for now mm-hmm. through that positive publicity. Yeah, good stuff. So I know enrollment is such a, a big area of focus right now as the space gets more and more competitive. Can you talk a little bit about how higher ed institutions can can effectively use PR as part of their enrollment marketing approach? I would say, and I haven't used this word yet, but I believe in it strongly, relevance. You've got a young group of people who are looking to define further who they are. And this is the first big step that a lot of them are taking on their own, probably 99% of them. This is the first big decision that they're making on their own, and it's really going to set the path for them moving forward. Mm -hmm. How can you be as relevant to them as possible? So now, every institution of higher education has different objectives. This is probably a primary one. This is a very specific target audience. And considering, much like we do for all other marketing initiatives, what does this audience need to hear? What is important? What are their value drivers? And communicating that through public relations initiatives to reinforce, again, your reputation. Is it really cool? You want to be the reputation of the party school? Do you want to have the reputation of a really compelling, forward-looking organization that is going to put people out who are going to get great jobs, move on to great advanced degrees, et cetera? It depends on what it is you want mm-hmm. and the type of people you want to draw as to what it picture you paint of yourself to these kids. So I know in PR, we oftentimes think about earning media attention. It's easier, easy to say, hard to do to get picked up. And I'm sure folks have had the experience of, we've got this really great thing happening on our campus. We've got this amazing research we're doing or this new innovative new program. And it's top of mind for everybody in the university. And yet it doesn't seem to garner attention outside that group and get picked up by the media, what's going on there? And what do schools need to be thinking about when they're trying to actually intentionally go after some sort of placement? So when we're talking about earned media placements, we've got a middleman between us and the audiences that we want to reach. We have to be relevant to that middleman as well. That middleman is the media outlet, the reporter, the editor. What they're looking for today used to be that they wanted to be top of the fold headline top of the fold, now they need clicks. They're all operating Mm -hmm. to clicks. Much like the web team is operating to clicks, so are these reporters operating clicks. So the relevance to them would be providing them with a story that the organization knows is going to really be compelling to people reading online, Mm -hmm. really going to be compelling to advertisers and audiences. It's unfortunate, but that's the reality of it today. Also keeping in mind that this reporter has got a dozen beats, if not more. Mm -hmm. So how do we provide this reporter with the best story that will not only get a lot of attention, but be easy for them to finish? So Mm -hmm. we like to say we give reporters a story that's tied up with a bow. 
give them all of the perspectives, contrary opinions. Mm-hmm. Here we've got this professor, we've got this individual that's an expert in the field, we've got this student, you've got everybody that you need, one-stop shop, the reporter. If it's fairly done and not overly commercialized, if it's fairly done and it's a really compelling story, mm-hmm. they're likely to jump all over it because they can get something done that's really going to be compelling. Check off that box and move right. to the next thing. And it's the relevance too. So here's the challenge that we're working with. When we are in an institution of higher learning, we believe so deeply in what it is we're doing. Our professor, whose life's work it is we're promoting, believes so deeply in what he's doing that, of course, it's a big story. Mm -hmm. Until you take a look at the world, though, and make that work relevant to the rest of the world, the reporter's not going to be as interested as, again, the guy who's doing it for his life's work. Right. What got it placed in the academic journal is not the same thing that's going to get it placed in a consumer media outlet. It's not. And, and by the way, it's that consumer media outlet that's going to post it online and in their, share it in their feeds, where it's going to get around to the influencers who are going to influence your student, your mm-hmm. prospective student, right? So how do I make it really relevant to mom, to mm-hmm. dad, to the guidance counselors in school? They're going to see it every day. We've got to make it interesting and relevant to them. Tie it to public event, current events. Mm-hmm. Tie it to what's happening in your community. Tie it to what's happening in the U.S. or in the world. That's when there's what we call clickbait in a story. So I kind of want to talk a little bit about the more reactive nature of PR. It's, I think, no secret anybody who's been working in higher ed knows universities, colleges are kind of a lightning rod you have this kind of this hotbed of controversy. You've got, you know, the principle of academic freedom and free speech, and the university is seen as this oasis of that. And as you mentioned earlier, people are more polarized now, more aggressive in their ideological leanings than they've been in a long time. And so it puts the higher ed institution kind of right in the crosshairs. And on top of that, you've also got hundreds or maybe thousands of young people that the school is sort of in charge of and supposed to keep safe and they want them to be safe. And they're not necessarily at a time in life where they're, you know, they're interested in pushing boundaries. They they may not be thinking safety mm-hmm. first. It just seems like a really challenging environment. So I guess I have a couple of questions that kind of come out of this. The first one is, as a PR professional, when, not if, but when something comes out of left field that nobody really anticipated or this kind of urgent sort of emerging issue, what is kind of the mindset of the PR professional? I think a lot of us, for instance, in marketing, you know, we may not be used to the pace that PR has to work at these days because things can explode so mm-hmm. quickly. I'm just kind of curious if you could speak to that a little bit. When, when you walk into a sort of a crisis situation, what's that kind of mindset? What are those primary things you're looking to accomplish early on? As you were talking, the thing that came to my mind was how energizing. It's funny to say, this is why I love doing public relations for colleges and universities, because it's the most unique environment Mm -hmm. of energy and thought and idea. And this is where all of my easy early, when we were just talking, how I said, you know, do the right thing and take credit for it. Well, gosh, how interesting is it for a university to have a very controversial speaker ask to use their facilities? Mm-hmm. What is doing the right thing in that case? Right. Well, First Amendment, we're a public university, we have to let them on campus. Instantly, that's not the right thing to 
a lot of other people because it's a controversial speaker. So you find yourselves in a real conundrum of intellectual, philosophical truth. Mm -hmm. Nobody's wrong, right? Because I just got done saying we have to be open-minded. We have to have growth mindset. Well, we might, but all of those individuals reacting to whatever they see as a decision on our part, it makes things really exciting. So let's just admit (laughs) that it's a very exciting time to be in higher ed. As you walk into a crisis, though, so that moment, I give you that example because a lot of organizations have been facing that challenge. And if you haven't faced it, you've watched your neighbor face it or some of your competitors face it. In my opinion, there are three key parts to crisis communications, three phases, if you will. Anticipate, prepare, and respond. And if you'll notice, two-thirds of that happens before Mm -hmm. anything really hits the fan. So that means... If we are running an institution of higher learning and we haven't thought about what it is we're going to do and how we're going to communicate when, not if, but when either a controversial speaker comes to speak on campus, when a student gets injured or killed in some dramatic fashion, something else controversial happens. Me too has been a big thing. And we've got a lot of people, a lot of hormones, let's, be, let's admit it, on college campuses. Those are just three easy off the top of my head examples of things that every institution of higher education should be ready for. And when I say anticipate, perhaps everyone in your organization is ready for what's likely to happen. Prepare doesn't mean that the president sits in his office and considers the PR director sits in her office and considers, the director of admissions sits in her office and considers what they would do. No, the entire organization needs to get together to determine what it stands for and how they would operate in these moments of crisis. So Mm -hmm. if an organization isn't doing it, I would say twice a year, if you're not doing it annually, you're set up for a big drama. So I would encourage you to, to figure it out now. Get together with the leaders of the organization. Safety and security needs to be involved. Legal needs to be involved. And there needs to be a discussion about how you communicate in this moment and then even draft some materials in that moment. Because when we're in crisis, we lose our minds. And it's, it's just physiological. It's fight or flight. Right. That doesn't look good in the moment of crisis when the cameras are on you and you're either freaking out or running for the hills. So get together. Make a plan so that way when something happens, you just fall into line like you're going into Mm -hmm. a fire drill mode because you've been through this. You've talked through this. You know where you stand. You know where the statements are. Everyone's in agreement, and we don't have to worry about thinking these things up in the heat of crisis. And I know you've pointed out to me in the past kind of watching organizations that maybe don't necessarily have the full spectrum of folks at the table that they need to in, in a crisis. They may, there may be sort of one group that is sort of wrestles control away, like in a, in a safety incident, for instance. Right. Can you talk a little bit about that? One of the things we like to point out to folks, safety and security, their job is critical to, again, the safety and security of the students on campus and to the employees and the mm-hmm. staff and the faculty on campus. Operating and making decisions, though, about reputation isn't their expertise, Mm -hmm. and perhaps they don't even want that job. But too often, incidents happen on campus that stay within that silo. Perhaps it goes to the president's office. They're aware that something bad had happened. But all of those kids who were there when that something bad happened and had their iPhones out Mm -hmm. and might have been taping the bad thing happening, if it doesn't get 
to the communications team, to the PR team, so that they can begin to prepare a response. I'd say 75% of the responses that we prepare as a PR firm never see the light of the day, but they're ready. And the Mm -hmm. next time something like that happens, we're prepared. Mm -hmm. The 25% that do see the light of day, we had time to prepare it. And we come away with it so much better off reputationally because we were ready for it. So letting those things, the determination of whether this is going to be damaging to our reputation lie with an organization that's more focused on safety mm-hmm. and security of the facilities and of the people doesn't necessarily jibe. And mm-hmm. you can see sometimes where those decisions maybe didn't get over to the comms team fast enough. Well, and, and likewise, if you're making decisions purely based on reputation, but without thinking through maybe the legal implications or Correct. I mean, there's, it's a complex environment. So there's yeah, no... We've, you've got the safety and security team. You've got your legal team. You've got your communications team. You've got your operations team because you still lights still have to go on. Doors need to get unlocked. Mm-hmm. So you've got all of these four groups. And then you've got your executive team, right, who are going to be the spokespeople, who are going to answer to the parents, who are going to answer to the community leaders. So those would be the, the different areas that I would say need to be involved. Mm-hmm. For instance, in this crisis planning that we're talking about, those groups sitting around the table and coming to an agreement mm-hmm. is critical. It really kind of reminds me of, in marketing, there's kind of this idea of the T-shaped professional that's kind of been popular for the past few years, and this idea that as a professional, you have deep sort of domain expertise in something, whether it's safety or PR or law or whatever it is, but that you understand enough of everybody else's world that you can kind of speak intelligently and know when you're getting in over your head and you need to bring in the real expert. Mm -hmm. And this is where that open-mindedness, that growth mindset comes into play Mm -hmm. and working closely together. What better way for a PR professional to really understand what's going on in safety and security than to be in their lockstep with you, understand Mm -hmm. it, be in the throes of the crisis and vice versa. Pretty soon, what's great is to watch teams like that engaging together under a shared common goal, which is protecting the organization, the university, the college, working together, and then start to I- identify situations that another should be aware of mm-hmm. well before a real crisis even bubbles up. Mm-hmm. But you start to recognize, oh, this is what my security director was talking about. I'm going to give him a heads up on this. This is happening online, but he needs to know right. well before. And then we've all grown. And I mean, I've been doing this a long time, as you pointed out. Thank you very much. <laughs> But I believe that I still have so much more to learn. Mm-hmm. And what better way to do it than in there with someone else who's got a wealth of information, 25 years of experience, and what they do. Mm-hmm. So working together is critical. And as an executive or as a president of, a, of an organization, looking at your team and making sure they're working together that well, being really open to each mm-hmm. other really well, that's when you really build a team that succeeds no matter what they face. Uh, sounds like great advice. So. Barbara, to kind of wrap up, I wonder if you could talk with us just a little bit about what you kind of see on the horizon. You know, what's kind of emerging in the PR space? Where do you think we're going to be in the next couple of years? What do PR teams need to be thinking about? Right now, this divisiveness, you know, we're talking in 2019. This divisiveness that I'm seeing, I've never seen anything like it. Lack of ability or willingness to consider another's point of view. So I would point out to every PR professional, any marketing professional that has become so black and white right now, mm-hmm. so on or off, so one thing or the other, that we can't see a lot of shades 
So being aware of that and being very deliberate in the language that you use. So that's an immediate futures. And I don't know what's going to happen playing out of this. I do hope it'll swing back around where we can have cogent and open conversations and disagreements that are more respectful. However, I will say that as a trend in our industry, and I've said this before, the silos are coming down. Mm-hmm. So in in marketing and communications, the silos are coming down. So public relations people used to be publicists or crisis experts. Now they're also writing content. I mean, we always used to write newsletters. Now we're writing content that are turning into sponsored content, which Mm -hmm. is a paid vehicle. And we're working so closely with digital, paid media, owned media, earned media. It's all overlapping. So an understanding, again, that T-shape, the top of that T needs to get a little thicker Mm -hmm. than it used to be. That's important. And then all I would say is uh, uh, within universities, the silos between departments and between jobs need to start coming down. And and we're seeing that. The most successful organizations are reducing the level of uh, the thickness of those brick walls between departments. And Mm -hmm. so that's what I expect to see more of. Very good. Well, Barbara, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a really fun, really interesting conversation. So thank you for that. It's my pleasure. Thank you. The Higher Ed Marketing Lab is produced by Echo Delta, a full-service marketing firm dedicated to helping higher education institutions drive enrollment, increase yield, and capture donors' attention. For more information, visit echodelta.co. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. And as always, if you have questions, suggestions, episode ideas, or just want to reach out and say hi, drop us a line at podcast at echodelta.co. See you next time.